The reading this morning is taken from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to chapter 2, verse 3. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the, the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. There was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Dawn, very much. So we're reconnecting with the passage from Genesis that we read three weeks ago. Uh, we're thinking about what it is to be made in God's image, and three weeks ago, uh, we saw that God had made us for relationship with him and each other and to rule over his creation, not in a heavy way, but in, a, in the way he would want. And we've taken two weeks sort of a sidestep from that to think about how we care for our, the creation, for the climate, given the situation that we're in now, not least running up to the COP26 conference. So now we're coming back to this passage to look at other aspects of what it means to be made in God's image. Next week, we'll be thinking about work and rest and the balance of both of those. The week after that, we'll be thinking about how in Genesis 3, uh, Adam and Eve rebelled against God. There was sin and how there's grace. And today, we're thinking about what it is to be made male and female. God's made us male and female in his image. Now, we live at a time in our society where society is in a real mess on this one. Uh, and all of us will know different people who are struggling with areas connected with their identity in this area. So I'm wanting to tread carefully, but there is a danger of treading so carefully that you say nothing. Uh, so I want us to pray that God will speak. And I particularly want to say to anyone who is struggling in this area, either through a family member or yourselves, that you are so very welcome. All of us are made in God's image. And we will find who we are in relationship with God supremely long before anything else. Uh, so my prayer is that God would speak to us, that we would lean in, as Gethin Son has it, 
uh, and hear his whisper. So let's pray that he will speak. Lord God, our Father, we bow before you. You have made us male and female, and together we reflect your image. And in our world, where there is so much confusion about this as people have turned their back on you, we pray that you would speak to us, that your church would be clear about what it is to be made in your image. And we pray for those even now who, some here perhaps, or some listening online, who are struggling in this area. We pray for your love and grace to lean into you and discover who you've made each of us to be. So speak through me, speak through your word. To each one we pray, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to make four points about being made male and female, and then I've got two areas of application. And all of this really merits about six sermons, but you don't want six sermons uh, on this. I'm going to recommend some books for those who'd like to chase it up a bit more. Uh, so Genesis 1.27 is our core text this morning. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And my first point is that God has made us, men and women, male and female, equal in his image. There is no sense in the creation that one is more important than the other. We are equal, uh, both created in God's image equally and together reflecting God's image. Now, we know that God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is relationship within the Trinity. And it's only in relationship that we reflect God's image. A man on his own, a woman on their own, do not reflect God's image in the same way as men and women together reflect God's image. And together, God has given to us, men and women, the task he gave, verse 28, uh, where we were a few weeks ago. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. It's together to us, male and female, that God has given this mandate to care for the world, to fill it, to steward it in God's way. Uh, now, when we get to Genesis chapter 3, and we'll have a proper look at that in a couple of weeks' time, we find that when the man and the woman rebel against God, when God's judgment falls on them, that this equality between man and woman is skewed. And all down history, women have been mistreated by men, in some cultures, terribly. Uh, the first century Jews at Jesus' time were no exception. There was a prayer that men would pray, thanking God that they were not born a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. And it's into that context that Jesus' attitude to women is so radical, giving women exactly the same dignity as he gave to men. Women traveled with him and his disciples. He encouraged Mary to sit at his feet and learn. He let the prostitute cry over his feet and wash them with her hair. He had a long conversation with the woman at the well, though that was scandalous at the time. He revealed the resurrection to Mary, a woman first, the first witness of the resurrection. And Jesus' attitude to women, treating women as equally dignified to men and caring for them, goes right back to how we have been created. And Jesus has come to restore what was lost. So St. Paul says this in Galatians 3, verse 28, 
There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Remember that first century Jewish prayer, thanking God he's not made a Gentile or a slave or a woman. Jesus came to restore all of that. We are equal in God's sight. And nations with a Christian heritage uh, have come to adopt this as a clear value. We have this as a clear value in our society. Uh, although some would say it's still not quite clear enough. Uh, but when we look at nations without a Christian heritage, we see how radical this is, that Islamic nations, especially in Islam in Afghanistan today, this is something that is not self-evident to everybody. But it's there right at the beginning. God made us equal, and it's there in Jesus' ministry. So that's the first point. Men and women are equal. Uh, if I go back to Genesis, to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18... And the point I made that we're not meant to be on our own. Uh, Genesis 2 fills out the story and it talks about how God made Adam first and then Eve. So when Adam's made, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. So this is the first thing that's not good. Creation is, everything is very good. God's made everything, all the days of creation, the periods of time, and it's good. It's very good. But the first thing that's not good is before Genesis 3, Adam hasn't done anything wrong yet, but it's not good for us to be alone. Adam has the perfect environment, the perfect job, the perfect relationship with God, and it's still not good. Because God has made all of us with relational needs. Just as much as we need food and water, just as much as we need sleep and exercise, so we need other people. It's together that we reflect God's image, not on our own. And saying that we need other people is not a sign of weakness. There are some men around who think that it's a sign of weakness to admit that we need others. That is not the way we're made. We are made to need each other. Now, God doesn't create another man at this point. He creates a woman, a helper suitable for him. A beautiful story. Adam was made from the dust. Eve is made from uh, Adam's rib. And the old commentator, Matthew Henry, puts it beautifully. She's not made from his head. She's not meant to be ruling over him. She's not made from his feet. She's not meant to be trampled underfoot by him. She's from his side to stand equal with him. From under his arm to be protected by him. From close to his heart to be loved by him. It's a beautiful bit of devotional slight slush. But it, it does make the point we are equal together in God's sight. That's the first thing, we're equal. But the second thing is that we are different. God didn't make just another man, he made a woman. It's male and female together that reflect God's image. And this word helper uh, is not in a sense, it's not like Santa's little helper who just comes along as a sort of minion. The word helper has a sense of partner. And God is described in Scripture as being our helper. So lots of places in the Psalms, but I love this one from Deuteronomy 33, 29. We can put that one up. There it is. Blessed are you, Israel, says Moses. Who is like you, a people saved by the Lord? The Lord is your shield and helper. So God is described as our helper. So when woman is described as our helper, this is, does not mean inferior in any way, uh, nor does it mean to rule over us. God obviously is God. But the helper has a sense of a partner, someone to work with the man, the man and the woman together. And there's a sense, if we go back to uh, chapter 2, verse 18, uh, there's a sense, I'll make a helper suitable for him, of someone sort of parallel, complementary, different, but 
similar. There's that sense of parallel, the man and the woman together. And Adam is delighted, and he breaks forward to the, into the first poetry in Scripture. Roughly, at last, this is just what I'm looking for, he says. And there's this great celebration of the fact that male and female together reflect God's image. So we're equal, but we're different. We're not identical. Well, in what ways are we different? Uh, well, there are some very obvious physical differences. Uh, we had twins, a boy and a girl, 28 years ago. And I lost count of the number of people when we were pushing the pram who said, are they identical? Uh, I wound up saying, not with their nappies off, they're not, sort of thing, was, was the simplest way to put it. But the point is, in every cell of their body, they were different. One of them had two X chromosomes in every cell, one of them had an X and a Y chromosome. In every cell of our bodies, we are male or female, we're different. Uh, we're equal, but we're not identical. So this brings us on to the whole debate about what are the sort of gender differences. If male and female are the, are the sex, what is masculinity and what is femininity? And this is where society has got itself into a right mess. We all know the differences are there, but they're really hard to pin down. Uh, look at the men here. Look at the women here. There's a range of uh, a different range from a sort of a, a gentle end to a tougher end. And there's, there's a whole range. And you can't say precisely where those differences are. People have tried. Some of us grew up with the nursery rhyme. What are little girls made of? Sugar and spice and all things nice. What are little boys made of? Slugs and snails and puppy dogs' tails. A complete nonsense. But getting to the point that there are differences. But utterly useless in trying to articulate them. Uh, John Gray's book, a generation ago, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, came as a healthy dose of reality after the 70s and 80s, which were all about unisex, trying to obliterate the differences, as if we're all unisex and there's no differences. That's nonsense. Uh, and it talked about various differences. Uh, but it's generalities, of course. Uh, Eye-opening to many, uh, the men want to fix everything. Uh, and sometimes the women don't want them to be fixed. They just want the men to listen. Or they want them to go to their shed and just sort themselves out. Uh, or the men want to go to their shed and wish they could go. Uh, but these are generic differences. They're not the case in each individual. Now, lots of Christians may take, may take different issue with what John Gray said. But his point was right. We're equal, but we're different. So I spent a long time a few years ago trying to read everything I could biblically about what are the differences of male and female and the bible says remarkably little about this and it's very easy for people to read in their own prejudices uh, just as a trivial example uh, you will all know the answer to this because you've been listening to me for far too long um, but if i ask people in general what was the fruit that adam and eve ate in the garden people in general say an apple but it doesn't say that in Genesis 3. It just says it was a fruit. It might have been a banana for all we know. We just don't know. Uh, but people can read in, they can hear the story, and they think apple because of what Milton told us. In the same way, it's very easy for people to read in their prejudices about what men should be doing or women should be doing, even if Scripture is not clear about it. So we have to be careful. Uh, some people think that the men should be at work and the women at home. Proverbs 31 talks about the woman as a businesswoman that these differences are very hard to pin down. Uh, what seemed clear to me when I did all this reading and I was looking hard if there are some differences 
uh, was that we are meant to work together. God has made men and women to work together. Delighted on our staff team. We're exactly 50-50, male and female. It hasn't always been that way. Sometimes it's been more women and those of us who men feel a bit outnumbered. Sometimes the other way around. That's really healthy. Um, it's very healthy to have men and women working together. Now, of course, there are generalities. In general, it may be that boys are better at engineering and science than girls. That may be true. But there are plenty of girls who are really good at science. In general, it may be true that girls are better at caring and nursing. But there are some brilliant male nurses. So we have to be very careful about saying what men should do and what women should do. I think the point is that we're equal, but we're different. And there's something about working together in teams that actually is really, really healthy. Uh, and that brings me to my third point. I think, I think the reason that these differences about what we should and shouldn't do aren't spelt out so precisely is because we are complementary. We are meant to work together. We're equal, we're different, but we're complementary. We complement each other. And so unless it is a male-only organization or a female-only organization, in which case having male leadership or female leadership is fine, in general, we should have men and women together running businesses, schools, churches, homes, the nation. Because God has made us equal, different, but complementary. We need to listen to each other. We need to get good at listening and relating to both sexes. Now, this doesn't mean that everybody has to be married. I'm going to speak about marriage a bit later. Jesus was single. Paul was single. Uh, there are advantages to being single as there are advantages to being married. They're complementary again. Uh, a really good sermon on this was preached a few years ago here by my friend Vaughan Roberts from St. Ebbs, Oxford, who's a single man, same-sex attracted, who preached from 1 Corinthians 7 that marriage is good, but there are times that singleness is better. That's the biblical witness. Uh, but if you are single, it's really important to develop friends of both sexes. That's why our small groups that have people from both sexes are so healthy. Uh, it's a good thing uh, to have that. There are advantages to singleness, there are advantages to marriage, both for the Christian are callings. Uh, I'm going to say a little bit more about that. For those of us who are called to marriage, uh, the man and the woman together reflect God's intention on marriage. And the maker's instructions are clear. Genesis 2 verse 24 is a verse that's repeated several times through the scriptures. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and unites to his wife and they become one flesh. Uh, and we'll pick up the reading from Ephesians 5 a little later on where the men and man and the woman are to submit to each other, to give to each other as equal but different and complementary. Uh, but let me bring the fourth point in first. We're equal we're different, we're complementary. And the fourth point from Genesis 1 to 3 is that we are all fallen. We've all sinned and all of us fall short of the glory of God. Genesis 3 is called the fall when Adam and Eve uh, disobey God and take the fruit. It's such a weak word. It should be the disaster. It feels like there's been a little trip. But the fall is when the man and the woman disobey God. They think they know better. We'll think about this a lot more in two weeks' time. And the results are disastrous. Shame and fear and blame and judgment and pain and a really skewed relationship between the sexes. And this is the world we live in. 
that we are all fallen, men and women, but the effect that has had has fallen very differently between men and women. So much that's good, but so much that's not good. We're equally good, made in God's image. We're equally bad. We fall short of God's standard. The man and woman are equally judged. But the judgment falls in different ways because we're not identical. We're complementary. So let's just read just the, the, how that happened. Chapter 3, Genesis 3, 1 to 6. We'll think about this a lot more in two weeks' time. Remember, God's put uh, the man and woman in the garden. He said, you can eat whatever you like of all of that. It's all for you, just not that one over there. That's a reminder that I'm God and you're not. And if you eat that, it's not good for you. So Genesis 3. The evil one comes in the guise of a serpent. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? He still does this. Isn't God a spoil sport? He's put all this here and said you can't have it. It's not what God said. God said you can have all of it, just not that one. The woman says to the servant, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you mustn't eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you mustn't touch it or you'll die. You won't die you will not certainly die the serpent said to the woman god knows when you eat it your eyes will be opened and you'll be like god knowing good and evil now that's very attractive to us but actually we all know far more than is good for us you know like with children it's not good to know some things they can't handle it there's some stuff we know that we can't handle and trying to be god is not good for us when we're not god but the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. So she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. It was years before I noticed that. I always thought that the serpent came to Eve when she was on her own while Adam was out looking after the giraffes or something, whatever he was doing. And she tried it and when he came back, she said, try this. But the scripture says he was right there and he did nothing about it. Men, do not abdicate the spiritual responsibilities God has given you. At home, those of us who are men have a danger of being lazy spiritually, as Adam was. Women don't abdicate your responsibilities either, though I find it less likely. In general, women are better, I think, at being responsible in this area than men, certainly in our culture. Don't take over either. We're made male and female to pull together on this. Now, of course, it's not good when men are domineering or when women are frightened and withdrawn. We need God's healing to bring a healthy relationship. Uh, I hope we'll be running the marriage course again next term. And we'll be running the restored lives course later this term for those who've been through the tragedy of uh, divorce or separation. But we need to help each other. The point I'm making here is that we're all fallen. We've disobeyed God and things have gone wrong into our masculinity, our femininity, and the relationship between us. We are the pinnacle of God's creation, male and female, and the devil hates it and wants to destroy us. And we need each other. We need to help each other to reflect God's image and to look after his creation and to stand firm together against the temptation the evil one brings. So four points to be clear about. We're made equal, we're made different, we're made complementary, and we are fallen. We've all messed up, and that affects everything. So two areas of application, and uh, we could go on for hours about this, so uh, just, just 10 minutes this morning of application. 
Uh, the first area of application is into marriage, and the second into gender. Uh, so first of all, into marriage. Why is marriage so important? The Bible starts with a marriage. Adam and Eve are created together in God's image. It finishes with a marriage, this time between Christ and the church, the wedding feast of the Lamb. All the way through the Bible, the marriage between a man and a woman is used as a picture of God and the church. Uh, the book of Ezekiel uses that. The whole book of Hosea is about that. Uh, and it's spelled out most clearly by St. Paul in Ephesians chapter 5. So we're just going to read this from verse 21. Uh, to husbands and wives, first of all, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is both ways, men to women, women to men. But because we're different, the way this is expressed is different. Wives, submit to your husbands uh, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he's the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or in any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one hated their body. They feed it and care for their body. Let me just pause there before we go on to the next slide. Wives are to submit to husbands, but husbands are to love wives as Christ loved the church and died for her. That, when husbands are loving their wives as Christ died for the church, it is the most releasing thing for the wife to submit. It works both ways. Husbands submit to wives by giving up your life for them. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And it goes on uh, later to say, respect them. We'll read that in a minute. Far too often, I, don't, I haven't been at the school gates for ages. We had five children at St. Paul's School. And uh, often at the school gates, I would hear the chatter. And clearly, it was the women making the sacrifices. The men were so often playing with their toys, doing their own thing. And the women were doing all the sacrificing. But then I would hear the women running down their husbands. And it's not the way that husbands you should be making the sacrifices. Women should be submitting to that love, both ways. Uh, but you begin to wonder, as he says here, just as Christ does the church, well, Paul, what are you talking about? Are you talking about Christ and the church or, or husband and wife? So let's go on. For we are members of one body. Quoting the verse, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. In other words, the reality is Christ and his church. And marriage is a picture of that. The reality will last for all eternity. Marriage just lasts for this life. And when we're separated by death, that's the end of the marriage. In heaven, we won't be married anymore because we'll have the real thing. And in fact, everybody can have the real thing now. Whoever you are, single or married, whether you have been married or you've never been married, all of us can relate to Jesus and be caught up with him, with the reality that marriage points to. Uh, and this is where the Bible finishes in Revelation. Revelation 21 verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And chapter 22 verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come, 
Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who's thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. This is the reality, the relationship with God through Jesus, to which marriage is meant to be a pointer. So when you see a good marriage, that's meant to show you about the relationship between Jesus and the church. And I think that's why marriage is under such attack from the pit of hell. Because it's not just about the relationship, it's a pointer to the gospel. A wonderful book written by Ed Shaw, which I'll I'll show you, I'll come back to again at the end, uh, talks about marriage as a trailer. You know, if you go to the cinema, you have the film you're going to see, but the trailer's pointed to other ones. Marriage is a trailer for what the ultimate reality is. And the ultimate reality is being part of God's covenant people. Uh, Now, I'll stop there on marriage. I'd love to say a lot more. but we need to talk about gender and especially transgender. And my goodness, I preached on this four years ago and looked at my notes then, how the world has moved on in this area and how difficult it is to say anything. I remember how difficult it was to say something four years ago uh, in case you get attacked for breaking whatever the latest woke taboo is on this. Uh, What we're talking about is someone whose gender identity doesn't correspond with their biological sex. Our biological sex is male or female. Uh, But for some people, uh, one person put it like this, you have a gender in your brain and a gender in your body. For 99% of people, those things are in alignment. For transgender people, they're mismatched. And before I say anything else, I want to say, if that is you or there's someone in your family, you have my deepest compassion And we as a church need to make sure we welcome and are compassionate to anybody exploring this. We're made in God's image and we'll find out who we are in relationship to God. And that's what we, the first thing we need to do is encourage people in their relationship with God. And as people grow healthy spiritually, then a lot of things get sorted out. Some don't and some needs additional treatment. But to give the treatment before people in relationship with God is never going to be the best way. Now, a generation ago, when society looked at transgender people, society as a whole said, yuck, it was a gut reaction, there was no real engaging. Now society says, hooray, let's celebrate it all. No criticism allowed. That's equally a gut reaction, and it bypasses the brain. They're both unquestioning. We need to think through this. We absolutely must show compassion and care, all of us are made in God's image and loved by him. But our society has got so silly about this. The government is under continual pressure to bring a bill forward where you can self-identify as male or female, no questions asked. Absolutely as silly as the white civil rights activist in South Africa who self-identified as black. It's a nonsense. We are either men or women, but transgender folks, there is an issue in the brain wiring as to what's going on and we need to listen and care. But just to say you can self-define to be a male or a female is disastrous. And nobody seems to be allowed to say it. It's a bit like the emperor's new clothes. It's obvious to everybody what's going on, but no one would say it. Now, approach to treatment has changed. It used to be that people would say, folks have a mental problem, we need to treat that. Now, today, people are saying, folks have a physical problem. We need to treat that. 
when I was reading into this last time I preached on it, I came across a group of pediatricians who'd spoken out against the practice of providing puberty-suspending hormones for children who believed they were the opposite sex. They said this, young children are being permanently sterilized and surgically maimed under the guise of treating a condition that would otherwise resolve in 80% of them. This is criminal. One surgeon stopped providing the treatment after realizing that those who had had it, on average, were no better adjusted psychosocially than those who didn't. He said, I concluded that to provide a surgical alteration to the body of those unfortunate people was to collaborate with a mental disorder rather than to treat it. But when you speak up against this, you invite abuse now from our society. A few years ago, there was a 60-year-old woman speaking on Hyde Park Corner, Speaker's Corner. If ever there's a place for free speech in our nation, it should be there. She was helping to coordinate a discussion about this and was hit in the face by a male activist who refused to allow the debate. A few years ago, Bath University refused to allow a PhD research project into people who had sex change therapy who wanted to reverse it. They would not allow the study to be done. Uh, and I'm reading a book called Trans by Helen Joyce, who's not a Christian, uh, addressing this issue out of deep compassion for some of the nonsense in our society, who struggled to find anyone to publish her book or book, keep book peoples to stock it because of the abuse. Now, when the debate is not allowed, we know something is wrong. And we must have proper discussion. There are extreme reactions. There's a real clash of worldviews. We must speak up for the dignity of everybody, including those we disagree with. We're all damaged, remember. We're all fallen. In. That affects our minds, our emotions, our bodies, our hearts. And we all need Jesus. As I said earlier, uh, is it a mental issue? Is it a physical issue? Well, it's kind of the whole person. But our culture says your psychology is your sexual identity. Let your body be conformed to it. The Bible says your body is your sexual identity. Let your mind be conformed to it. Now, there is so much more to say. I want to recommend four books, two on the area of transgender, two on the area of love and marriage. Uh, so let's put these up. What's the first one? I'm not sure, actually, what order they're coming in. Uh, this is Helen Joyce's book, Trans, I referred to. Uh, you can get this on Amazon. don't know how much longer for. There are other books on this subject you cannot get on Amazon because Amazon's been attacked by the Woke Brigade. Not a Christian, but speaking an awful lot of sense into this. Couldn't find an American publisher. No one would take it in America, even though it's based on good research. I really commend that to you. Uh, another one, Vaughan Roberts, who I spoke about earlier, wrote a book, short book on transgender. This is very short, deeply compassionate uh, and very helpful. Uh, then two on male and female uh, and the relationships male and female. Let's put the next one up. Ed Shaw, A Purposeful Sexuality. This is the very short book that speaks about marriage as a trailer to the real thing. Again, Ed is a single, same-sex attracted man who's really wrestled with why has God given me a sexuality if I can't express it? Uh, how does that work? And then fantastic book by John Mark Homer, Loveology, that takes male and female and looks at all these different aspects. Please do read further into this. Uh, I'm not going to preach loads more into it week by week because just saying something may be enough. But we have to engage with this. 
Uh, I have spoken for long enough. Our kids' groups stop in three minutes' time. So it's about time we prayed. And I, I do apologize, those of you with young children, uh, stay for the prayer, but when we get to the song, you'll need to go and collect your little people. The bigger ones will come.